0: Over the last several weeks, we've been uh, going through 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 uh, Corinthians today. We're going to cover chapters 8 and 9. It's, uh, it's going to be somewhat a short, short service. These chapters are not very long. Um, we'll be able to cover them quickly. Um, so, you know, each year we take time to go through one book of the Bible, study it sequentially, chapter by chapter, of course, we do other ways of ministering the word. We talk, do topical studies and uh, other things. But we also try to do one book study every year. Uh, so this year, we are going through 1 Corinthians. We have covered the seven chapters. Uh, you're welcome. In case you missed any of them, you're welcome. All of this is available online. The video, the audio, the sermon notes. So you can always go back and um, review that. Uh, so Paul has uh, is writing to the church In Corinth, uh, a church that he and his team had established approximately seven years prior to this. Uh, The church has grown, people have come in, uh, and they're facing certain challenges, certain issues, certain questions, how to live their Christian life. And so Paul is writing, addressing issue after issue and giving them uh, God's instruction on how to handle our various life situations. In chapter 8, Paul begins to address, or in this chapter, Paul addresses one other issue that they are facing, which is the issue of whether or not it is right for a believer to eat food offered to idols. Now, because uh, all of them, I would say most of them, uh, have come from a background that was deep in idolatry. They've come from that background. You will find this uh, in the next few chapters as well. Paul referring to their background, he's saying, "Look, uh, you were carried away, you know, uh, worshipping these idols and so on." So they've come from that background. Now they've heard the truth. They know the truth. Uh, they believed. Have, they, have, they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, they need to. Uh, they need answers to these uh, situations. Should we continue eating food that was offered to idols? Now. The situation is like this, just to help us understand their context. And then we will talk about our context. Their context was like this. Uh, when they had food, uh, things offered to idols, a ma- major part of that was meat. So when you're talking about food, we're talking about meat. You're talking about animal, right? They had animals and meat offered to idols, sacrificed. Now, some of that was eaten right there in the temple as part of their worship towards uh, the idol. The rest of it, which was not finished, was taken to the market and sold in the markets, right? So if you happen to go to the market to buy meat, you may end up buying meat that was actually sacrificed to idols. So they had these two questions. Uh, are we allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. One scenario would be maybe they, you know, they passed by a temple and they were offered something. Here, here's meat that we just sacrificed. You want, you know, uh, we, we offered this as a sacrifice to the idol. You just want it. Or another scenario would be when they went to the market to buy meat. Uh, of course, you had all kinds, but there would be meat that was actually marked as meat that had been sacrificed in the temple. Is it right for a believer to, do, you know, buy that and so on? So Paul addresses this, uh, chapter 8 addresses only part of it, uh, we move to chapter 9, and in chapter 10, which we will look at next Sunday, he comes back with more truth, God's truth, concerning what to do about uh, things offered to idols. So today you will not, we will not get a complete answer, it's only part of the answer, alright, so please come back next Sunday. <laughs> uh, to, to listen to uh, the rest of what Paul has to say, what the word of God has to say for us concerning this whole uh, subject of, uh, uh, of um, food offered to idols. But let's um, uh, read chapter 8 and see what God has to say. So let's begin chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now, very interesting, he begins off by saying, now concerning things offered to idols, and suddenly starts talking about knowledge and love. It's like, excuse me, Paul. You know. What's going on here? Uh, As you uh, read on in the chapter, what the situation is this, and it becomes clear when you read the rest of the chapter, is that there were these people, of course, some of them who had become believers, they came to know the truth. There's one God, uh, and he's a living God. You don't need to worship idols, idols, nothing, so on. So they know that, but they were looking down on people who did not have that understanding yet. So he's saying, guys, listen, knowledge makes us proud. But love builds people up. So we've got to hold knowledge with love, right? The knowledge of the truth should not make us proud that, hey, I know this, so you don't know it. No. The hold knowledge with truth. And he says, look, if you have knowledge and you think you know everything, well, actually, that's a sign that you don't know anything. Right? That's verse 2. He says, what really matters is that you love God. And because you love God, that you are known by God. So here's something more wonderful. That God knows you. That's the thing that you and I need to be resting in. So after just positioning that or making that clear, he moves on. So let's continue in verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know... That an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So he says, look, we know this truth. We know. an idol is nothing. And what is. Uh, 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 and there is no other God. There is one true God. Even though there may be many so called gods. That means the many many representations of things. in, You know uh, uh, heavenly things and things on earth. You have all of these representations. But there is only one God. True God. The father and his son the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. So. We're not, you know, really uh, concerned so much about the idols because we know what the truth. But verse 7, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat, are we the better. Nor if we do not eat, are we the worse. So he's saying in verse 7. You know, not everybody has this understanding. Not everybody knows this truth. For some people, when they eat something that is offered to an idol. For them, it is their act of worship towards the idol. Their conscience is like that. In their conscience, that's what they're thinking. That look, I'm eating something sacred. But we know. That the food, whether we eat it or not, it doesn't change our standing before God. Right? For us who know the truth, that food is food. You eat it you don't eat it, it doesn't change your relationship with God. Are you with me? Yes? No? You want me to make it a little more simpler? <laughs> you understand that? So, the idol is nothing. The food offered to it is nothing. For us who know that there is only one God in heaven, and these things are nothing. So for us, that food doesn't make. Whether you eat or not, your relationship with God is not affected. It doesn't change. But not so with others. They don't have this understanding. For them, the idol is very sacred. So when they eat it, it is an act of their worship towards the idol. So in the light of that, how should we respond? Continue on. Verse 9. But beware. lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. What's he saying? He's saying this. Look, you know the truth. For you, it doesn't matter. But if you go into the temple, and you take this offering that they said they have sacrificed to the idol, they give it to you to eat, and you eat it. For you, it's just food. Because you Are not considering the idol, you're not for you, you're nothing, it's just food. You're free. It says you have knowledge, you have freedom. You know the truth, so you have perfect liberty. You can eat it, you're not worried about it. But if somebody else who doesn't have that knowledge, they see you eat this, they misunderstand. They think so. He calls him a weaker brother. That means he's still coming to understand the truth. He's still maybe in the faith, he's in the faith, but he doesn't have this understanding. He's a weaker brother. He sees you do this. He thinks you are worshipping the idol. By you eating. So he is emboldened in his faith to do the same thing. You took one piece, he'll take three. <laughs> and he wants to worship. For him, it is like I am worshipping the idol. Because I saw my brother. Oh, he's very—he's a believer. But he came same temple. He also ate. So I'm also and he's emboldened in his faith. He thinks you're worshiping that. You're not. You have knowledge. You have liberty. But you're just eating it. You know, for you, a banana is a banana is a banana. I'm just eating it. But for him, it's not that. For him, it's worship. But he's being emboldened by your action. So he says, if what I do is actually going to encourage somebody else to do something that is, not, that is wrong. He doesn't know that. He's, he's encouraged to worship the idol by doing that. He says, Then I will not refrain from eating. Are you understanding? Because he says, If I do this, then I'm causing my brother to stumble. In fact, he will perish. I mean, he will lose. He's not going to be saved because he's actually worshiping the idol. He's not going to be saved. He will perish. And I am actually sinning against Christ because I'm not making my stand clear. Are you understanding? Right? So, from that perspective, Paul says, I will not eat that meat that is offered there. I won't eat it because I don't want to make my brother stumble. I want him to understand that even though idol is nothing, this food offered to is nothing, and I'm worshiping the true God, yet for his sake, I won't eat it because I want him to understand there's only one God to be worshiped. Amen? So this is as far as he takes it in chapter 8. He's going to come back in chapter 10 and address the other issue. When you go to the market to buy meat, What happens, right? And he's also going to give us insight on something more about the idol. He says when you offer things to an idol, there's something behind that also that you need to be aware of. That comes up in chapter 10. So please, for the continuation of this, part two, we'll do that next Sunday. So let's go to chapter 9. So in chapter 9, the apostle Paul addresses another uh, aspect. Uh, Another important issue that was coming up in the Corinthian church. Which was that some of these people. They were people who came in uh, to the Corinthian church. And they began to put doubts in the minds of people. Saying, hey, Paul is really not an apostle. He's really not an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not. So people began to. Wondering, you know, is Paul really an apostle of Jesus or not? Right? So now he defends his apostleship. In chapter 9, he defends. And so also in, you know, you will see in chapter, later on in chapter First Corinthians and also in Second Corinthians. He will, there are times when he defends his apostleship. So in chapter 9, he begins his defense of his apostleship. And he points to certain aspects of his ministry that, uh, that in some way give... Um, uh, You know, support the fact uh, of uh, uh, support the fact that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, So, as we read this, of course, we'll understand the context. But what I want to take out, what I want us to take out, is this is the life of a minister of God. You see, the word apostle actually in the Greek is a very simple word. It's a simple word. It simply means a sent one. Now we understand that there is the office of an apostle, which the apostle Paul was in, but we also understand that all of us are sent ones because Jesus told all of us go. So in some way, if you say I'm an apostle, it's true. You're not in the apostle in the sense that you're an apostle in the office of an apostle, but you're an apostle because you have been sent by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as my Father sent me, even so I send you. So in all of in one sense we are all apostles of Christ. So we are sent once are sent to carry out the mission of Christ, whatever he has sent us to do. So in that sense, each one of us are apostles, are representatives of Christ. Paul is defending his apostleship, meaning a call to the office of of an apostle. But I wanted to draw insights concerning what it means to be a minister of Christ. It comes out so powerfully in this chapter. So let's try to uh, see that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll read the first 15 verses as Paul begins his defense of his apostleship. He starts by saying, verse 1, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. So now he's going to defend himself. But he's, he's already stated, look, I am an apostle. You know, I, I, am I not an apostle of Jesus Christ? I have seen him and you my work in the Lord. You are the proof of my apostleship. I may not be an apostle to others. But I'm an apostle to you. Because look. Your lives have been changed. Your lives have been transformed. That's proof of my apostleship. Is what Paul says. And then he begins his defense. Verse 4. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles. The brothers of the Lord. That is James. And Kephas which is Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to. Uh, to refrain from working. For whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You will not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plough in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if you reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. So this first part, what does Paul do? He's pointing out certain things. He's first of all pointing out, saying, look. As a proof of my apostleship, first of all, look at your lives. You are my work in the Lord. Your lives have been changed as a minister of God. Remember, serving God is about people. It's about seeing lives changed. He says, hey, you, number one, you. You are my work. You are the seal of my Apostleship. So, ministry really is all about lives, people, seeing lives changed. Amen. Then he says, "Look, the second thing I want to point out is this." He says, "You know, as a, a, a minister of God, uh, I could have exercised a lot of rights. I could have. Uh, I could have got married. I could have." Um, uh, uh, I refrained from working. But you know that Paul, in many of the places, cities he went, he worked. He was a tent maker. He and his team, they built tents. They sold it, took care of their own needs. So he said, I could have refrained from working. I could have taken off of the material things of the people that I was ministering to spiritually. I could have done that. But Paul is saying, you know, all that is true. God allows it. It's written in the law that all of this is fine. Uh, 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 but I have chosen not to do that. Are you with me? That's the second thing. Says, in other words, he's saying, look, I have sacrificed to fulfill what I've been called to do. So in other words, this is not an easy journey that I have taken. I have sacrificed for this. You know, who would, have, who would go to war at his own expense? So, think about that, he's telling Corinthians. Look, when I, when I came to ministering to you, I came at my own expense. I sacrificed. I have, you know, I, I put, like we say, I put my money where my mouth is, right? We, can, we say that here in our day. Uh, so in other words, he's saying, look, I really put my whole life and I sacrificed to do what I'm doing. That's the second reason why you need to know that uh, my call to be an apostle. So you see this outline there. He says, first of all, you are my work at the seal of my apostleship. Number two, I've not abused my power. I've not even used my rights. And he lists things he's forgone. So what lesson can you and I take from that? Number one, serving God is about serving people. Secondly, we can take out this truth that serving God requires sacrifice. Paul said that. look, I've made this sacrifice. It's serving you, serving all of you. Let's continue. Verses 16 through 18. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So two things Paul points out. He says, you know what? I am doing this because necessity has been put upon me. Meaning, there is a heavenly responsibility on my life. In fact. That, that responsibility is so great, he says, I will be cursed. Woe is me if I don't do this, if I don't preach the gospel. Right? A sense of responsibility. And then he says, and even if I'm doing it against my will, look, there is a stewardship of this gospel that has been entrusted to me. There is responsibility, stewardship. Stewardship calls for accountability. So two things, as ministers of God, there is responsibility and there is accountability. You are responsible for whatever God has called you to do. You're responsible. You see it as a heavenly responsibility. You know, whatever, each one of us has been given something by God to do. Uh, It may be in church, it may be outside, it may be in the city, wherever. All of us as believers, there's a heavenly responsibility in our lives. And so you must see that this is my responsibility. And there is accountability, there's stewardship. And he says, you know, what is my reward? That when I have done my work, I can stand before God and say, Lord, I did not abuse my authority. I didn't misuse this. I did it right. I did it well. I do not abuse my authority in the gospel. That means I do not misuse what God has given me in this call. That's the thing, that's my reward. So imagine I can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't I did my best and I didn't misuse it. That's my reward, is Paul saying. Are you with me, so far? So as ministers of God, as people who want to serve God, in whatever ways God has called us to understand this truth about ministry, that serving God is stewardship. There is responsibility and accountability. Are you all with me? Whatever ministry, so many of you will grow up into certain areas of ministry right here in church. You may be, you know, like different leaders we have. You'll be given an area of ministry say, please take care of it. Serve the people under that ministry. Some of you may be doing ministry outside uh, in whatever uh, various areas God has called you to do. Serving God. Do it with a sense of responsibility. Paul says necessity is laid on me. I, have no, I, I, I can't say no. And he says There is a stewardship of this that's given to me. I'm a steward of this. I have to one day have to answer to God. And my reward is God, I didn't misuse my power. I didn't abuse the authority you gave me. I did it right. Or to the best of my ability, I did it right. I didn't misuse it. That's my reward, he says. Let's move on. Two more sections. Verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So here's another aspect of ministry. Here's another aspect Paul is pointing to. Hey, I want you to know, why do you think I'm an apostle? I want you to know, this is what I did. He said, you know, I stepped into people's worlds. I became like what they were. When I went to the Jews, I became like a Jew. When I went to the Gentiles, those outside the law, uh, to the non-Jews, I became like them. Uh, to the weak, I became like the weak. That means the weak, meaning the poor, the, the lower people in society have no rights who have no authority no power I became like them I stepped into their world and he said to those who are without law that they, they live on their own I became like them but yet not without law to Christ I still remain submitted to Christ he says I became all things to all people so that I could by all means save some so here's another aspect of being a servant of God of willing to serve God we must be willing to serve people By willingly stepping into their world, becoming like them. Are you understanding? It depends on what God's called you to do. For example, some of us may be serving people in the slums. Look, when you go to serve those people, you don't go wearing a tie suit, you know, suit, tie boot, and all that, go there. You can't do that. You've got to become like that. You go wear simple clothing. Go sit there. Find out what's going on. You talk to them. You sit where they are. Relate to them. Then you will be able to serve them. Right? You have to step into their world. Become all things to all people. So like that. Many of us sitting here. We are called to different kinds of people. And for us. Uh, Whatever it is, you know, entering into their world. Maybe we feel uncomfortable. You say, God, I'm not made like like that. I I can't connect, God. I don't smell like them. I don't look like them. I I can't talk like that. But God says, I want you to go to them. God, me, to them, go. So, you know, whatever uh, changes you need to make, whatever risks you need to take, whatever you need to do, you go to them, you become all things to all people whom God is sending you to so that you can save them, save some. Are you with me? We have to be willing to step into people's worlds in order to reach them for Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes it can be risky. Sometimes it, it, it may mean a loss of your own reputation. Others might see you, hey, what is this man Going there and serving those people. It doesn't connect. And they might start thinking of you differently. So there are all these other factors. But you're willing to do what God has called you to do. Because you're serving God. You're an apostle. A sent one by God. God is sending you to those people. Amen. That's what Paul is saying here. I became everything to those people that I was reaching. I went into their world. I became like them. And Uh, In order that at least some people may come to know Jesus Christ. Last passage. Last section. Verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run. But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, it's another area he points to. He says, "Guys, I want you to understand something," and he draws a parallel, uh, of, uh, you know, from something that they are very familiar with—the Greek culture, where sporting events was something very. You know, it's like cricket for us. They, for them, you know, the athletics and the sporting events was so big. So he could draw a parallel. He said, you know, these athletes, when they run, they don't just wake up, roll out of the bed and run. You know? It's like they train. Each one of them, they train, they discipline themselves. Uh, they are temperate in everything. They're so disciplined. And they, all, and, and they run in such a way, they want to win it. And they all do this for just to win something that will fade away. That's temporal." So he says, even so, I, when I, he says, he's talking about himself, he says, in my life, he says, I fight as somebody, not, who, you know, not beating the air, I'm not, you know, just uh, punching, uh, throwing punches in the air, but everything I'm doing, I'm doing intentionally, purposefully, and then he says, I discipline my own body, and I keep it in subjection, so that when I have preached to others, I don't want to become disqualified. In other words, to put it very simply, in ministry, you need to have self-governing ability. Right? You got to be able to govern yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. Right? That means you have to watch over your own life. Govern yourself. So Paul said, I discipline my body. I keep it in subjection so, so, I, uh, so that I can make sure I run this race well. So Paul is highlighting all these aspects of his ministry. If you want to sum it up, these five things he points out, which we've just uh, drawn from this passage. Number one. Serving God is about serving people. Serving God requires sacrifice. Serving God is stewardship. There is responsibility and there is accountability. Serving God is serving people by willingly entering into their world. You say, I'll I'll, I'll step into your world. It may be uncomfortable, it may be difficult, but I'm coming there. And... Serving God requires self-governing. But you've got to govern yourself. You've got to watch over your own life. You can't let it go, free fall. Watch over yourself while you're ministering to all other people. So Paul is saying, look, this is what took, what went in for me being an apostle of Jesus. So he's saying to people, look, by what means did I become an apostle? Here, this is what went in. For me to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is what it took. He's giving them a true picture of the cost. Of, the, of what was behind his life as an apostle. And you and I can draw many insights from that. This is what it takes to be a sent one. A servant of Jesus. A minister of God. And each one of us are sent ones by God. In our sphere of influence. Wherever he sent us. Keep these truths at heart. Amen. We're done pretty early, so tomorrow we uh, not tomorrow, sorry. <laughs> Next Sunday, uh, uh, we will continue with chapter ten, where he comes back to the subject of uh, of uh, he goes back to the subject of uh, what he do with idols and food offered to idols and all that, and he and he brings uh, he explains things uh, at a much greater detail. But we're going to take some time to pray before we dismiss uh, the service. I want to just pray uh, in, in light of what you heard. I want you to pray in the light of what you heard this morning. Um, One, from chapter 8, you take a stand. You say, God, I understand now what it means, why I should not eat what is offered to idols. I don't worship idols. I, I know that an idol is nothing, but I want to worship the true God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to do that. Secondly, about your life as a servant of God. You know, this is what it takes to be a servant of God. It's about serving people. It's about sacrifice. It's about stewardship. There is responsibility. There's accountability. It's about stepping into people's worlds willingly so that you can win them for the Lord. And it's about you governing yourself while you're serving God. So I want you to pray about that for yourself right now. Take a few moments, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, I just pray over every person here, God, that you've called each one of us to live lives with meaning, with purpose, as sent ones by God. We are on a mission from heaven. And help us to know what it takes. To serve you in this world. May each one of us, God, embrace the assignment you give to us, whatever that that is, that maybe go to the people you want us to go to. Maybe we be willing to serve people who desired their transformation. Maybe we may we be willing to sacrifice. As we serve you, maybe be willing, maybe be good stewards, Lord. Carry our, res- carry our service with responsibility and accountability. Maybe willingly step into people's worlds so that we can reach them where they are. And maybe watch over our lives that we complete the race faithful. Help us, help each one of us, Father. We honor you. We thank you. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we welcome your presence in this place. We know you are here. We know you're amongst us. We know you are our healer. You are our deliverer. You are the miracle worker and right now in this place, we pray that you'll move with your healing power, move with your healing virtue, Jesus. Heal people, men broken hearts, heal people of sicknesses, diseases, ailments of their bodies. Deliver people who are tormented in their minds, oppressed in their minds. And Lord intervene in our life situations Lord we just thank you we bless you God we honor you praise you Jesus just want to take a few moments to pray for healing and to pray for miracles in this place and I, and I just call of these conditions, even, even if you, you know, I'm going to first pray for these conditions. If you have a problem, I, I just sense here somebody on your the back of your left shoulder. If you have an injury there, a problem there, just stand up. where you are. I'm going to pray for you right now. So the back of your left shoulder, this area, just stand up. If you have a problem there, just rise. I want to pray and minister to you. Just pray from here. Also, people in the lower back, if there's pain in this area, in the lower back, and you've had this recurring pain, it's been for there for a long time. I just want to pray for you. So I just want you to stand up. I'm going to just pray from here. Believe God for your healing, all right? So just lay your hand on that part of your body where you have pain. And Father, right now, I take authority over the pain, the injury, the problem and the left shoulder. Or even the lower back. In the name of Jesus, I command healing to you right now. So as you have your hand there, just say, Lord, I receive my healing. You may feel a heat of warmth. You may feel the power of God flowing through your body right now. Just say, Lord, I receive it. I receive healing right now. I command that shoulder to be completely healed. Even if there's been an improper Uh, connection of the bones there after injury. I command healing right now. For the lower back, I command healing right now. Be completely relieved of everything that's causing your pain, your discomfort. Receive your healing now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. If you can, you know, you're, you're welcome to be seated. If you can if you feel something, you know healing has happened right now completely, then you're welcome to come forward and share your testimony. Otherwise, again, we don't want anybody to be pushed into any testimony right now. And if, if you know, you're welcome to go back, share, check, and then come with your testimony. But if something happens right now at any point in time, just feel free uh, to come forward and, and share your testimony. All right. I also want to pray especially for people who need a financial miracle. Meaning you're, there's a situation in your life. That you want God to break through financially. Again, we don't want to do this to embarrass you. But you know that our God works miracles in that area of our lives. Amen. And it's throughout the Bible. Can you imagine this widow woman? Her husband had just died. And when he died, he left behind a huge debt. And where does she go? She goes to the man of God and says, can you help me? She can't go to the banker. Nobody's going to give her a loan. None of that. She goes to the man of God. And God intervenes in her life. God works a miracle in her life with what she had. A little jar of oil. God worked a miracle in her life situation back then. Cleared all her debt and gave her enough for the rest of her life. Amen. Can God do that today? Of course. Of course, it may not happen through a little jar of oil. It may happen through some other means. But God can come through into our life situations and work those miracles amen how he does it may be a little different but he can do the same thing in our situation. he's no respecter of persons so if you need a financial miracle i want you to stand up i want to pray after that. i'm going to call our ministry team up and we will uh, continue in prayer we will dismiss others but we'll continue to be available to you but i want to pray for that just so please stand up if you are here, god this morning say god, i need Financial miracle in my life. Whatever that situation is, I I don't know. But God in heaven knows and God in heaven will come through for you. Just remember the story of this lady that we just talked about from Second Kings chapter five. Just remember the story. He said, God, if you did it for that lady, then you can do it for me today. Just pray that simple prayer in your heart God, if you did it for that lady Then you can do it for me You took what she had And you solved the problems And you took care of her for the rest of their life Come on, everybody pray, please Pray for these people Pray in tongues, pray for these people God, we pray right now For these people are standing up for a financial miracle In their lives Heavenly Father, you are the God Who did the miracle for that little widow woman Back in the Bible day, Lord, you came through for her. You canceled all her debts and you blessed her so much that she could live for the rest of her life, take care of her two sons, and God just glorify you. So, Heavenly Father, do it again this day. Do it again. The lives of each of these people who are standing up in the name of Jesus. Let's all say this together. We release financial miracles. Into the lives of these people. Let the miracles of God. Take place. In their lives. Financially. Let there be the abundant supply. Of God. Coming into their lives. In the name of Jesus. Father we just thank you that you will do this God for each one of them. In the name of Jesus let miracles break forth financial miracles that clears debts that meets needs that takes care of the future provide in such a manner do this for each of them father and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen amen God let's all stand up please God bless you I want to call our worship our worship team up also our ministry leaders up please our life group leaders ministry leaders. Uh, We want to be available to you uh, for prayer and ministry. We will dismiss. But if you need prayer, you need ministry in whatever area of your life, don't worry. Our our leaders will be here. They've been trained. They've been instructed on how to minister to you. Uh, so, they will be here available to you to pray for you, minister to you. So, please come make, uh, and just receive whatever ministry you need. So, our uh, life completers, please come. Uh, just make yourselves available. Husband, wives, please make yourself available together as couples. Others, please just uh, come in twos and uh, just make yourself available. We're going to uh, uh, just sing and then close uh, but if you need prayer and ministry please come just make just come to any of them any of them and they'll be happy to minister to you other life group leaders, come just come on up and make yourself available we're gonna we want to see god do more things in our lives god meeting the needs of people uh you know there's another area that we really want to see breakthroughs we want to see couples having children so in case uh you're a couple and you've not had ch- children for long now and then we've seen god do miracles but we want to see God breakthrough for every couple. Amen? So just come and receive prayer and, and, and believe. We believe God. He will do it for you. Um, and, and He will come through for you. All right. Come um Anita Jake, please come come to this uh, come in the middle there's the space to come. Um yeah. All right. We're just gonna uh worship, come joy. Sankita, come on, come, yeah, come. Oh, you're up there? Okay, you're up there. Yeah, so we have people up there as well. So if you wanna minister there? Uh that's fine. All right, let's just um Right, we're just going to declare God as our miracle worker, as our way maker, as our promise keeper. Amen. So as they're doing that, feel free to come. So you can start coming praying. As soon as the song is done, we will dismiss. Uh, but we will, our leaders will be continued to be available to you to pray. And I will also come and join them. But let's declare God as our miracle worker. God is our way maker. Let's declare that. Amen. All right.
1: Here yeah. Keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are waymaker, maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. <adoption> My God, that is who you are. You are we way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, light in the darkness. Yeah. And when I don't feel that you're working You never stop, you never stop working never stop, you never stop working
0: Receive prayer, receive ministry before you leave. Let's close. Thank you, Father, who you are to us. way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, The sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play Stores.